Coming up on this episode of Daylight and Dark. Was Zacchaeus more than just a wee little man? Does God ever choose to just straight up ignore the prayers of his people? And why is religious hypocrisy so gross to, like, everybody? That's exactly what we're going to be talking about here and getting into the nitty-gritty of the name of this podcast, Does Doing Right Ever Become Wrong? Hello and welcome to the Daylight and Dark podcast where truth is being sought out by two impossibly different individuals who just happened to marry each other. Couple turned co-hosts Josh and Valerie Westmoreland dive into the word of God to try to find answers. Topics not off limits are trying your best not to kill your spouse, raising small children without going insane, being a believer in an increasingly secular society, and, of course, hope and stuff like that. Regardless, we do hope you find this podcast quite interesting, and that you won't hate it, and that you won't throw your phone or other listening device out the window following this audio experience, such as your iPad, computer, or vintage record player. So, whether you're at work, riding in the car, or tending to your little hooligans. Seriously, thank you so much for taking time for this brand new podcast, Daylight and Dark. Attention, random story ahead. Um, me and my boy Max, we were uh, walking up our road, and uh, there, was some, there was some honeysuckle on the side of the road. And, uh, you know, just kind of doing what, you know, my dad did with me and stuff. and uh, Just kind of go over on the side of the road and pick off some of those little honeysuckles. And I uh, said, now this is what you do, son. You pinch the end of it and you pull this little string. What's the little... Is it a, oh, you told me earlier you're not a botanist. I have the blackest black <laughs> thumb ever. I kill everything. <laughs> the angel. Of death. <laughs> I planted some little hostas in front of our house this spring, and they're growing. And I'm so excited like, because I think it may be the first thing ever in my life that not only did I not kill, it's like, but it's growing. Like it's alive and it's flourishing. Be <laughs> when is death coming? <laughs> I'm still waiting on it. <laughs> so, uh, pull the little, I don't know if it's called a thistle or oh, whatever. Pull the little thing out the end. You know, a little string comes at the end, and the little bulb on the end of it pulls the, I guess it's like honeydew or whatever, and it pulls it out of there, and you just kind of suck on it, and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of, it's got kind of a sweet taste, and uh, <laughs> so I did it, I did it, you know, a couple times, and Max is watching me, and I said, here, you know, so you pull, you pull it all the way, almost out to the end, and then, you know, you see like the big drop of honeydew, and you just kind of, you know, you suck on it and you you know drink drink it if it counts as a drink and so then max does it you know a time or two and then i i go back you know i pulled off a little limb and there's a bunch on it and i i guess said you want to do it some more and he said uh he's kind of backed up and he furrowed his eyebrows at me and he said uh, daddy that's kind of weird 
<laughs> and I was like, touche, son. This is weird. <laughs> when, when doing right becomes wrong, and I feel like we need to, and I told you this today, we need to kind of um, talk about it for just a second before we get into it as far as what, what, what does that mean? And then, you know, we'll, we will hopefully flesh out the answers in the, ch in the chapter, in the rest mm -hmm. of the chapter. Um, but for, from what we've seen thus far, the right that we're talking about is not just right in general or truth or it's doing all the right things like they're making their sacrifices they're burning their incense they're you know observing the sabbath observing the new moons and they are physically on the outside making sure that they do all of the things but inwardly they are not heeding the holy spirit yeah. they are not heeding the words of god yeah and that's i think that is what we're dealing with is that the things they are doing on the outside are right or would appear right. But because of the condition of their heart, right. that's where the problem comes in. Right. And like Valerie said, you know, we've, we've got, he says in uh, Isaiah 1, in verse number 13, he's like, I don't want your oblations or your sacrifices. Incense, which actually God required incense earlier in the Old Testament, but he says incense is even an abomination to me. So like it makes me sick. The new moons and the Sabbaths, and God ordained those as well. You know, obviously the Sabbath is good. The day of rest is good, and God made that. But even the calling of assemblies, and this is, I guess, what I probably focused in on last time, or at least meant to, and even the solemn meeting, you know, where you, I mean, it sounds crazy to talk, to say, but even those meetings and coming together, and if you want to call it church, you can, you know, it's not really church, but kind of, you know, grouped together. You talk about the things of God. And that's, this is the, that's the, to me, this is the crazy part because you're talking about a good thing. Right. Obviously there's thing. no better thing to talk about than God, hmm. but you know, they're, they're reading from, I guess, whatever they had at the time, the Pentateuch, maybe, I don't know, you know, they at least had some scrolls they would read from and they would do their whatever. And God said, I hate it. Like, I, I absolutely, it's like it makes me want to vomit. That's what abomination, from what I remember in reading, that's what abomination means. It, it's like a, it, it's disgusting. It's vex. It's vex, vexation mm -hmm. spirit. And so that seems crazy, you know, but, um, so that's. That's kind of where we left that's off. That's kind of where we left off. We left off in verse number 14. Um, Isaiah 1, 14, it says, Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. So we kind of fleshed out all of the ideas about, you know, the things that they were doing that appeared right on the outside. You know, the things that even God himself had commanded them to do. But then this portion of scripture really digs into the condition of their heart. And I think that's kind of what ties yeah, that, the two thoughts I together. I would agree. Like in verse, I'm just going to jump into it if you're okay. Yeah, right with yeah, that. Good. Okay, verse 15, he says, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. And what strikes me in that verse is that, you know, we, growing up as a child, you know, you teach your children that 
you know, God can always hear your prayers and, you know, he's always watching over you and all those sorts of things. And those things are true. But they had gotten to the point he was so vexed and so angry with them that he literally says, I'm going to hide mine eyes. So it's not that he cannot see them, but he is choosing Hmm. to not even look at them. And it's not that he cannot hear their prayers, but he is choosing to ignore the things that they are asking for. Like that's a pretty serious place to be in when the God of heaven, you know, you as God's child, and he is looking at you and saying, I am straight up ignoring you right now. I mean, where do you have to be? I mean, there's there's obviously no way that me and you can say definitively, here's where you are when God chooses to say no. Because this was a this was to a specific group of people. Mm-hmm. This was to the people in Judah, in Jerusalem. They were God's people. Mm-hmm. This is, they were God's people. Right. And he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hear you. And right here is where we probably could go to James, you know, the drawing out of God thing. Right. And I would encourage you, this is probably going to be another podcast at some point, but the drawing out of God thing we tend to look at that like an emotional, like, well, I've been down and I pray and, you know, then he draw not, draws not to me. But there's a lot more there, y'all. There's a lot There's a lot more there than just, well, emotional, well, I come to an altar, or even metaphorically speaking, you know, I just, I pray and, you know, which... And I, we dug into that a little bit in the yeah. last episode. You know, if you haven't listened to that one yet, maybe go back and listen there a little yeah. bit. And like you said, I hope eventually we can make that a podcast all on its own. Yeah, because it's it's very much worth, you know, because we have, we didn't really talk about this, I don't guess much, but there there seems to be, at least from, I think, both mine and Valerie's viewpoint, that there are a lot of these kind of scriptures. And now all we know is Bible-built society, Bible-built Christianity, because we both grew up in the South. She grew up in Texas for the most part. Mm-hmm. I grew up, I've been pretty much in Mississippi my whole life. Um, so we know Bible Belt Christianity, although Texas and Mississippi are two completely different animals. Texas is better. <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard for me to argue with that. <laughs> oh, but um, I mean, but for the most part, the the Southern style... It's not just the style, it's the spirit of, and it may it may not just be in the South, but I guess because there are churches literally everywhere scattered all across the South. There's churches on every corner, all different stripes. And, you know, we've been in, you know, a few different churches in our life, in our lives, mm-hmm. but in our life together as well. And the kind of apathetic, serve me, uh, what we perceive anyway, and it may not be this way, but all we know is what we've seen. And, you know, consumer, that's what I'm looking for. The consumer mentality, you know, the preachers and the singers, they do their thing. You know, I sort of rate the church based on um, a Yelp review rating system, you know, and I don't know about y'all, but I like rating systems like on Amazon or eBay or whatever. Like I want to see what people are rating it. But at the same time, <laughs> Is a church, can you... <laughs> so anyway, but all we know is what we've seen. And um, 
where was I going with that? I was, I had a thought. I don't know. I was trying to stay with you and I lost it too. (laughs) This happens quite regularly. If you've ever heard me preach in person, this happens at least once per sermon. I have to stop and I'll be like, uh, anybody know? (laughs) And then I'll just sometimes have to completely switch gears. Um, what I was, I told you the other day that I wanted to share with you, and I just oh, I really wanted to share this with you in studying the scripture, but I wanted to wait until we had this podcast because I wanted to be fresh. So when I was reading that verse, verse number 15, it's talking about spreading forth your hands. I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I won't hear you. Your hands are full of blood. So Matthew Henry commentary has this to say. is a lot to say. Matthew Henry commentary is a, is a great, it's kind of my go-to commentary. But he says this, dissembled or disguised piety is double iniquity. Mm. Dissembled in that word. I wasn't really familiar with the word dissembled, but or disguised piety or piety is the quality of being religious or reverent, you know, just religious in general. But disguised piety is double iniquity. Hmm. I never thought about that, but that's but, very good. But when you think about it, but then, I mean, I feel like even double iniquity is is a, a light estimation. Like, yes. it's probably way worse than, it's not just iniquity. Because not only is your heart wicked, but you are being deceptive and trying to pretend that it's not. You know, so there's the wickedness in your heart, and then you're putting on, you're, so you're choosing... Covering. To deceive, and you are choosing to put on hypocrisy to and, pretend but, but the that motive, it's not. The motive of it is the I feel like the most, the worst part of it. I mean, it's not just. I mean, I think it's one thing, and let's just say we've all done it. I mean, I'm you know that I've done it. I think we've all done it. We've all maybe gone to church or pretended amongst our friends to be more spiritual than we are. Or even in that state of mind where we were at the moment, it's just like to kind of pretend everything's okay, you know, a little bit of hypocrite, a little bit of hypocritical. Okay. You know, we've all, I think we've all probably done that, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of not let the walls down or whatever, just kind of put on that face, smile, smile and wave, boys, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the I feel like the motive is he, motive here is not just well it's just you know I'm just kind of put this front on, but it seems like the motive is look at me. It's not just well let's just kind of smooth everything over well, that's bad enough, right. but it's like look at me. He says here in verse number fifteen when you spread forth your hands that's not indicative to me of a personal prayer in a closet somewhere or a personal devotion time that's that's that to me that that almost reflects what jesus was talking about when he talked about the pharisees you know they stand they stand in the corners and they raise their hands up and they make long prayers or whatever Mm -hmm. it reminds me of that story of the publican and the sinner where the publican you know raises his hands and he says you know i'm glad i'm not like this guy you know and then the sinner he won't even lift his eyes up he just is the bible says smote his chest and He's just crying for forgiveness and for mercy. God be merciful unto me, a sinner, mm-hmm. or something like that. But that's what—that's exactly the picture in my mind that I get when you talk about, you know, praying with raised hands. Is yeah. that Pharisee in that story? Yeah. So, and then we could take a little side route and say, you know, emotionalism is a is a big deal today. 
like as far as worship services and all that. And um, I will tell you that I'm an emotional person. Like, and I'll get emotional when I sing or when I preach or even in a service when I'm feeling the spirit, I will raise my hand. I'll say amen, do all that. And I think those things are absolutely good. But the picture here is raising your hands. Oh man, they're so spiritual. Not crying out to God, God be merciful. Oh, and tears of, of repentance. Mm. It's, it's the picture of, oh, look at, oh, look at us. They're raising oh, up themselves. We're so spiritual. Oh, and I think we've got to be careful of that. I agree. You know? And I think that's particularly hard, I'm going to speak from experience here, when you are in a position of leadership because you are expected to lead. You are expected to kind of hold up that standard even when you're not okay. Even when you know that I need to be fed today, I need to just sit and listen and hear and take in what God is speaking to me. And yet you still feel like you kind of have to perform. And that's a delicate that's, balance. But that's, that's the question is, what do you do? Because, I mean, I've been in that situation many times in mm-hmm. my life. And because I am an emotional person, I'm I'm going to usually err on the side of saying too much. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying... See, I I am... And you know this about me, but I am more a conscientious person. Like, I would rather nobody know that I'm having a hard time and just suck it up, get up, do what I need to do, and then go home. But that's not right either, as far as the Lord is concerned. Because I haven't benefited myself or anybody else for having been in that church service in the frame of mind that I was in. So then what are you... As a conscientious person, what are you supposed to do? As a leader, let's let's say that, not just as a person, but if you're a spiritual, recognized as a spiritual leader, what do you do? I don't have an do answer for that. you just lead the way? I don't have an answer for that. I feel like that's something that you have to be led by the Spirit in what to do. Oh, who was the famous preacher? Was it Spurgeon? That he was holding like a... A big revival meeting and like the first night, you know, the house is packed. Like people are in there, they're waiting on him and, you know, they do a song service or whatever and then they go and tell him, hey, it's your turn to preach. And he was like, no, I'm not preaching tonight. I'm not ready. It was one of the big guys. I can't remember if it was Spurgeon, Moody. Man, I cannot remember which one it was. That's going to drive me crazy. But that happened like two or three nights in a row. And finally he said... No, it was Jonathan Edwards because when he came out, he preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It was Jonathan Edwards. And he preached, and he, from, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but from what I've read, he was not a bombastic person. Like, he pretty much just got up that night and read that sermon. He didn't, you know, again, here in the South, in the Bible Belt, he didn't preach it per se. You know, he didn't perform. He didn't try to elicit emotion. He didn't, you know, raise his voice inflection and all that sort of stuff. He just got up and read what God had given to him. But thousands of people were converted from that sermon. You know, but that would be a hard thing to do. All these people. All these people are here. All these people have packed this house. No, I'm not speaking tonight. And I don't know about you, but I'm not even a people person necessarily. But because I am a conscientious, dutiful type person, it would be hard for me to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not ready yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't given me what I'm supposed to say yet. And I think that goes back to our 
our culture of, you know, churches at 10 a.m. Churches go on. The show has to go on. Churches at 11 a.m., churches at 6 p.m., you know, churches at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. And I have to have something to give them. Even if the Lord hasn't given you something to give them. That's an awkward predicament, especially in our society. I don't, I don't have an answer then for again, that. You have to, then, then, along that same track, as a shepherd, you know, I've been a pastor, mm-hmm. you know, feeding the flock or so. Is it... That, that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm a little hazy right now, as far as in my spiritual journey and my spiritual life is a shepherd. You know, he's responsible for taking care of the sheep, mm-hmm. to lead the sheep, guide the sheep. Mm-hmm. You know, when we say we'll feed the sheep, and you look and say, "Well, Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep." Okay, mm-hmm. but as far as like the the job of a shepherd, the shepherd really doesn't. Does he feed the sheep or does he lead the sheep to the pasture where they can feed? That's true. That's a valid point. I mean, point. I'm not saying that's correct, but he doesn't grow the grass. He doesn't even, I mean, he doesn't pick the grass out of the ground and give it to them. He just kind of leads them to where, and I mean, obviously I think preachers should should preach sermons and, you know, they should be do prepared. all that. You you know, they, prepared. There should be something on your heart to give. But at the same time, I have been the person in the pew that my mind was on a million different things. And I couldn't have told you what the preacher said. I was physically there, but I was not mentally there. You know, and he may have led me straight to the edge of the water and I would have never known it. And then there have been other times that I've been in the pew and I have... This, this sounds cheap, but I feel like I have done my part in preparing my heart and in being ready to hear from God's word. And then to feel like a pastor just stands and gives you his opinion rather than something fresh Bible. and real. And, right. You know, because in, in my mind, it doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter how gifted you are in speaking. If you just open God's word and give people what God's word says. You really can't go wrong. Yeah. And it's even better, I feel like, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you through that portion of scripture and it's fresh and it's exciting to you. Cuz people want I mean, think about the conversations you have just day to day. You know, when somebody's like, "Oh yeah, I went to this place for lunch and it was whatever." But Nobody when they've been cares. but when they've been somewhere new and it's like, "Oh man, this place was amazing." They make you want to go and try that mm-hmm. restaurant just because of how excited they were about it. And I feel like in our churches, a lot of times that excitement, sometimes it's put on, but I do feel like that it could be done honestly. You know, if you were genuinely excited about what the Lord has been speaking to you, man, this is what God showed me in this portion of scripture. Let me just share this with y'all, what God has been showing me so this obviously week. You can't, you can't make anybody be interested in what you're interested in. Right. <laughs> you can't, I mean, you know, you said lead to water. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. But then at the same time, that principle's pretty, that principle's universally true. Like, mm-hmm. you just kind of, <laughs> thought about that song, you know, only takes a song to, <laughs> <laughs> probably ruined the whole thing, but, uh, but, I mean, the, the principle is there, mm-hmm. you know. But I think, 
I think the responsibility lies with the pastor, but also with the parishioner. Because like I, I think I kind of got sidetracked here, but I have been the person in the pew where the pastor probably had good things to say and was speaking truth and was excited about the truth he was speaking. But because my mind was going a million different places, I missed it. Hmm. And sometimes I even wonder with, you know, the things that I feel like I was taught and I was, you know, sort of just believed my whole life growing up. And now I'm realizing like, that wasn't exactly right. And I wonder how much of that was my own fault (laughs) because I was half-heartedly listening and I thought, oh yeah, I've heard that before. And I didn't really listen. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Hmm. Like there's, you know, there's the responsibility of the pastor. Yes. But there is also the responsibility of the person in the pew to be engaged and to be listening and to have even take it home and study for yourself and say, okay, well, this is what the preacher said. Let me read this for myself and let me see what God speaks to me through this. There's got to, I mean, it's just like we talked about in the last episode. There's got to be more than just reading it or just listening to it. At some point, you have to put it into practice for yourself. I will say the blame, the blame game is easy Mm. to play. Mm -hmm. You know, and... I think we both feel like that we have been taught some things that were incorrect in the past or you know whatever the case may be and it's easy to throw to throw the blame on you know a pastor or a spiritual leader or a parent or whoever mm-hmm. you know and and legitimately that may be that may be a, a worthy what am I trying to say that that may be a the case, yeah. a, a, a legitimate, a legitimate thing, but at the same time, when and at what point in our adult lives do we start taking responsibility for our own decisions and our own responses to those things? Yes. And go ahead. And I, I feel like what allows me to be gracious in those scenarios is, you know, like I said, it very well could have been. You know, it, some of it may have fallen on my pastor or teacher or whoever, you know, in the delivery or maybe in assuming that I knew the story. Because I think we do that, too, as teachers and as pastors. We just kind of assume that, you know, when I say walk with God, I assume that you know what I mean. Right. You know, but two, on the flip side of that, I have been that teacher I have been that person standing in front of a Sunday school class where a group of ladies and saying... You mean taking for granted something? And assuming that I knew all there was to know about the scripture and saying, you know, well, this is what that verse says. You know, even these verses, even these verses that we're talking about in Isaiah, you know, later on where it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I personally have taught that verse in a salvation context. Even though that's not the context that it is in the scripture. But because at that point in time, that was the knowledge that I had. At that point in time, I believed that that was true. And I gave that knowledge to somebody else. You know, and so now to step back and realizing. Now to step back and to realize at this age that, man, I taught that way out of context. It allows me to be gracious to some of my pastors and my teachers and people that I feel like maybe led me a little bit astray. Like I I had a great church growing up. They were doctrinally sound and I feel like they were probably just doing what they knew 
just as I was doing what I knew at that time. Should I have put more study in? Yes, absolutely. But I was not intentionally deceiving someone. Do you understand what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like I wasn't standing in front of them and intentionally trying to deceive them or lead them down a wrong path. And so I think because I have been that person, it allows me to be more gracious now to my pastors and my teachers, you know, and those people in my past. Hmm. Because I know that I've done, I've done it too. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> I've done it. I was trying to say I've. Uh, D-U-N. It's my Texas. I was talking way too fast. <laughs> Running all my words together. Well, that's it. I mean, I mean I've, I've never been wrong. So. <laughs> Would you like me to list a few examples? <laughs> I got some. <laughs> I'm just joshing. <laughs> um, so back to Isaiah. Back to Isaiah. So we, but we were talking about dissembled iniquity or dissembled piety is double iniquity. Um, you know, it's just a that's a heavy verse. You know, when you spread forth your hands, I'm not going to hear you. Um, your hands, and I don't want us to pass by 15 before looking at the end phrase. He says, your hands are full of blood. I've been thinking about that. Hmm. Do you think that that blood is talking about the sacrifices or perhaps something else he's referring to? Because I don't know. Hmm. He says, your hands are full of blood. You know, he gets to 16, he talks about basically washing, washing that blood, I think is what he's referring to. But your hands are full of blood. I can't, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know either. Let's watch some study. Well, let's just go with right now, he's, he's talking about maybe the sacrificial blood. You know, he's got all the, they've got all this blood on their hands. I don't know. I mean, it almost seems like there's something more there. Like there's maybe human blood on their hands. I don't, I don't know. Um, but that verse number 15 also goes with, um, Psalm sixty six eighteen, you know, if I you regard if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me, and I think mm-hmm. it's the same type thing. I don't think it's well, you know, I, I screwed up, I messed up here, there, and I've repented. You know, I'm coming to God. It was you know over an oversight, or you know maybe I overstepped my bounds, but I've I've come back to God, and God's just like, nah. I I think mm-hmm. that I think that goes with that though, and I think. Uh, same type thing, Matthew. It's in Matthew six, where you know Jesus is going through the model prayer and our Father which art in heaven, whatever. And he goes to he he goes to the end, and you know he talks he's talk he talks about you know uh, forgive us of our uh, trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And he da 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 for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen. And the very next verse he says, um, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father he will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. To me, that's another way of saying this, like not hearing you. Yes. You can pray to your blue in the face. But if you've got bitterness and anger towards, you know, some other person, some other man, some other mm-hmm. woman, you know, I'm not. And so, but then that says, how much does our relationship with other people, and does that affect does that have an effect on our relationship with God? At least in the forgiveness aspect, it definitely I does. I would say at the very least. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard some say that it's directly related. Like, you know, if you if you across the board, if you've got bad relationships across the board, or maybe it's just one person, I don't know, then you know that affects your line of communication, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's worth that's worth some study. Um, so the very next verse, uh, verse number sixteen. Wash you, and this is where he gets down to business. Wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Um, so like I said a second ago, I think the wash you and make you clean, I think that's probably referring to the blood. Mm. You know, just get get away. You know, um, in the, in the um, I think we were in Exodus Leviticus, he was talking about like bodily discharges and stuff. And it was mm. basically saying from what I gathered, that a lot of times when you have some kind of bodily discharge that made you uh, ceremonially unclean, that you know you had to. Um, sometimes you had to go outside the camp for a few days or right. a week or whatever the case may be. But a lot of the times, it seemed like from what I saw that you know you would be considered unclean until the evening, but you would have to get a bath. It said you'd have to wash yourself with water, right. mm-hmm. and then once you washed yourself with water after whatever discharge that was. Um, then, you know, and, and after the evening, then you were clean again. Right. To me, that's beautiful. Like you wash, you know, we walk, we obviously everybody's washing their hands a lot with all this stuff going on, <laughs> you know, but, uh, I mean, when you just, when you have a, when you really wash your hands and wash them well, it just feels good. Obviously it feels good, but you know, what are you doing? You're getting, you're, you know, you're getting all the, the dirt and everything out from under your fingernails and, you know, the, the lines in your palms. You're getting all the dirt out of it with that abrasive, with that um, detergent, with whatever soap, you know, and you're, and you're making yourself clean. And to me, this is beautiful. Now, I want to I wanna stop right here and skip ahead and we'll come back. Okay. But I feel like this is so, so in, in verse number um 18, he says, wash you and make you clean. And he goes through some other things. But I think this is so good. In verse number 18, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. To me, and and we've got some other steps in between here and there. But to me, it just blows my mind that, you know, God's levying these charges. You've done this and you've done that and you've not been sincere and you've faked and, you, you know, you've done all this and that. But it just blows my mind that there's even an out at all. Right. He said, you know, your sins are scarlet. And scarlet, it's not just like, well, God just called it scarlet. He's like, your sins are blood red because they're blood. It's the price of blood. And if you think about it too, scarlet and crimson are both dark shades of red like it's something that's difficult to wash off mm. like i know back at christmas time you know we made some christmas cookies and a lot of the icings and things have that red dye color in them and i got it on my hands and it took me two days to get it all off mm. but that is a deep color that's something that it takes a long time to it, remove and he says it'll be white as it'll snow it'll be white as snow isn't that beautiful? Like you're talking about some deep, dark sins that have been there a long time. And it's just like, God, mm-hmm. God says, and there's, like I said, there's some more steps, but he's like, I'll clean them. Mm. And that, oh man, that's such a beautiful transition from the verses before where he's like, I can't get away from this. I've had enough of it. It's repulsive to me. It vexes me. And even though 
even though their sin and the actions they were doing repulsed him and vexed him and frustrated him to no end, there still was that extension of mercy okay. and love I and saying, you. okay, if way. you will do what I'm about to tell you, we can still, I mean, I like the word he uses, let us reason together. Yeah, let's, <laughs> I think that's so, like, let's be reasonable says, now. Come now, come now, <laughs> come now, let's gather around children, let us reason together. <laughs> like you could just imagine him saying, okay, I know y'all got to be tired of me beating the devil out of you. And all I'm asking is for this. Come here. Come here. Like, let's be reasonable. <laughs> just, just do what I'm asking. <laughs> it's interesting. And, it, and it is really reasonable. And I mean, I, obviously, I want to share that point because I feel like it's beautiful. Hmm. You know. But then at the same time, this is where we stop when it comes to salvation or well, salvation really mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the context we apply that in is, is salvation through Christ. And, you know, while all, it seems like the whole Bible points to Christ in the end, like it points to Christ, the exact context here is not to Christians. It is those who are under God in the land of Judah, in the land of Jerusalem, because they have had some wickedness. And we're not sure about everything, but I mean, there's some insincerity here. There's there's a pretended piety and there's a lot of different things but it doesn't stop there like he doesn't just say wash and make you clean and you'll be white as snow there's more right so do you want to read that next part i know i've kind of just taken over uh, verse 16 says wash you make you clean put away the evil of your doing from before mine eyes cease to do evil and then he kind of switches gears like he goes from all the things like you need to get rid of then he switches to what you're supposed to do. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And he digs into all the things you are supposed to do. So there's a whole list of things that he wants you to get rid of, make clean, put away. But what do you think that means? Put away the evil from your doing? What? And then cease. I mean, that seems to be a part of it. Is that, I feel is like it's, well, I feel like the first part, put away the evil of your doings. I think it's kind of referencing those verses above where they were doing good things, but they were doing them in an evil manner because their hearts were so far from God. Oh, you think that's God. what he's talking about? I think that's what he's talking about. He's like, you know, put away that evil from your doings. Like you can continue doing the good things, just do them in the right way hmm. and then cease to do evil. Hmm. So that's, I feel like that's the extra stuff. The, you know, maybe we talked about the... Your hands are full of blood. Like possibly if there was murder or war or whatever going on there. Like, okay, now let's stop doing all this other mess you know you're not supposed to be doing. Mm. So first of all, and I feel like that goes right back to your title for this. Like, you know, they've got the things they're doing that are right, but they're doing them with the wrong motive. So let's fix that. And then let's fix the things we're doing wrong. So now all you're doing, if you do just those two things... You're only doing right things, and you're only doing them with the right motive. Hmm. And just that one verse. Hmm. But then he gives them a list of good things to so let's continue talk about, doing. Let's talk about that list right there. The uh, the learn to do well. Um, I, when I first read this, I just kind of wrote above the word well. I was like, learn to do well. Well, that means just do better. But it's, I think it's more than that. The word well 
oh, I wrote it down somewhere. The word well is the Hebrew is the Hebrew word. I think it's y'all tab or something. Y a w t a b. I don't know how you pronounce that, but um, it means to be or to make well. Literally, like sound or to make beautiful, to make sound or to make beautiful, or figuratively, happy, successful, and right. So to be or to make well. So it's not, it doesn't seem like it's just like, well, do do better. You know, but like complete in a complete manner. Like mm-hmm. not just, well, try to do better. You know, and I think that's what, it's one of the things we look at in the Christian life is like, well, you know, just try to do better, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, say, say, I'm sorry. And then do a little bit better. Just try a little bit better. I feel, and, I feel like the easiest way to understand that is an analogy and just like, our regular world like for instance if if you and I as you know husband and wife are having problems and you come to me which we've had before right a few (laughs) a lot you come to me and say Valerie I really wish you would get up with me in the mornings before I leave for work and I say yeah I'm gonna do better or I say yeah sure I can do that like, that's totally different than to just say, I'm going to do better, and I might make it one or two days a week. Yeah. Or to say, I'm going to do better. I am going to make this happen. And I'm going to consistently, Monday through Friday, I'm going to be up with you before you leave for work. Mm. And I feel like that is what... That's a complete turnaround. Yes. I feel like that's the difference in that verse. You know, you're not just... You're learning it, and you might do it, you might not do it, but you are actually learning to adapt your behavior for the result that you See, want. See, the, the whole, I'm sorry, I'll try to do better, that just seems like a, pacific, a, a pacification of the issue. Like, I'm going to say, sorry, or whatever, but just basically because I don't want to have this conversation because I ain't interested. Mm-hmm. I ain't interested in changing. Right. But to do this well means to do sound. Sound is like a, it's like a, well, it means to be complete and to be whole, you know, mm-hmm. and according to this, it means to be beautiful or figuratively happy, successful, and right. So, um, you know, I don't think he's okay. saying, go ahead. I like the word successful right there. Cause again, if you're going to do something and do it successfully, you can't just do it better. You're going to have to yeah. consistently make choices that are going to get that you where lead you're it, going. That are leading you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just a one-time, oh, I did better today, and then tomorrow I'm going to go right back to my old habits. Yeah. You have to consistently make those habits, yeah. make those Eyes changes. the prize sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, learn to do well. So there's there's one, two, three, four. So there's is there four things? Three things. Five. I'm t- well, I'm talking about relieve the oppressed, one, judge the fatherless, two, plead for the widow. But there's seek judgment before Oh, that. seek judgment. So there's four. So, and I talked to you about this the other day. Seek judgment. And I'm not sure. See, I, okay, well, let me just explain. I thought that word judgment uh, meant meant one thing. And it meant, well, the word ju- judgment means uh, justice. So uh, best as I can tell, it means justice. And um, I didn't write it down. But it means a, a justice or a judgment, whether good or bad. It's a verdict. This or that. And judgment is used twice. The same word is used twice in that verse number 17. And, you know, when I was studying this initially, and I shared this with you, 
um, that just judgment, I, I kind of figured he was like, well, seek, seek justice for yourself. In other words, not like social justice type thing and whatever, <laughs> but seek, seek a verdict for yourself, good or bad. You know, just which is which is admirable, and it and it may mean that, but I started looking at the the punctuation. It says in verse number seventeen, there's kind of a, a semicolon there, which is sort of a stop, not a hard stop, but learn to do well. So sort of stop, seek judgment, comma relieve the oppressed, comma judge the fatherless, comma plead for the widow. Period. So it seems like there's that thing, and then there's. You know, well, it just seems like there's all in one thread. It seems like all of these four things go back to the learning to do well. Like they are examples of the well you're supposed to learn to do. But but that's where I'm at as far as the judgment goes. Is he talking about judgment, like justice for God? Here you go. Or is he talking about something more noble, like seek justice in general? I think he's talking about more noble, just judged by the rest of the list. But... But here was my here's my problem. Okay. <laughs> is that I'm looking at this, okay, so I'm looking at the King James, right? Learn to do well, semicolon, seek judgment, comma, and this comma, comma, comma. But if you look at another version, it has exactly the opposite. It has learn to do well, comma, seek judgment, comma, relieve the oppressed, comma, and it's all just one bit one big list. And you look at another one and it's different. So and what that tells me, you know what it tells me? Is the Bible wasn't written in English. <laughs> Imagine that. I don't know if y'all know this, but the Bible was not written in Shakespearean English. It was not written in English. It wasn't written in Merck. Thank goodness for written that. Written somewhere else. And so, but to go back to what you, I, I'm leaning on the side of, I think he's talking about, I think it goes back to, do, to the doing well. Mm. And I think he means justice. And I've, I don't know. What, what do you think he's talking about? The judgment here? Do you think he's talking about justice for me? Like, it's not, well, justice, you better pay me back. But justice, like, you know, God, bring judgment down. Here, I've done what I've done. Because that's noble. Mm-hmm. That's noble in and of itself. For a person to be able to say, Just put yourself God, at the mercy of put God. Put yourself at the mercy of the judge and say, bring it down. Or it may be, because what you see in the later phrases is he's talking about basically justice for the, for the, for the little guy. Right. You know, so I don't know. What's your opinion? Do you have an opinion? I think, I mean, I already said my opinion. I think it ties into the other parts. I think it's not necessarily so much about ourselves as it is about other people. Because in, mm, the way the first part is worded, learn to do well. I feel like it's easy for us to seek justice for ourselves. It's hard to, it's hard to admit the fault and plead for mercy. But as far as on the justice end of it, I I don't know. I I tend to think it's bigger picture for the little guy. Yeah. See the whole thing. If if learn to do well means this means this, then that means that you know it. T- There's a whole lot of <laughs> this, and lot of this, this, this. this and that. This and that. This and that. Daylight and dark. Daylight and dark, baby. Daylight and dark. I mean, I, I, don't I know. feel like this is a good place to tie into Luke 19 and Zacchaeus because, mm. because when yeah. Zacchaeus was converted, I mean, his initial reaction was to do for other people. And his initial reaction was not for himself. And, you know, let me keep all these treasures that I've hoarded up. Should we read it to him? Yeah, go ahead. 
So you want to tell them the story and then I'll read it? I mean, why am I going to tell it and then read it? It's like <laughs> double the same thing. <laughs> All right. So Zacchaeus was a weeded a man. That was the story. There you go. So Zacchaeus is the story of the little guy. <laughs> I mean, do you want me to tell it or do you want to read it? Like, I feel like no, we need to do one I or the gonna, other. Here. No, I was going to tell the story and then get to the point when he comes down. Okay. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And um, he was a tax collector, and people didn't like tax collectors for good reason, because they were not honest usually in their dealings, and they would say, "Oh well, the, you owe the government this much money," and really it'd be like several times, you know what, or just a little bit extra, and they would pocket the money, and so people knew that, but they had nothing they could do about it, and so they just they hated they hated these guys, and so anyway, Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus came to town, and Zacchaeus. He was of the um, shorter stature, shorter stature, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree and he was looking for Jesus. And you know, Jesus uh, made a, I mean, he just he saw him, and he said, "Hey, come on down. Um, I'm going to come to your house." And so, of course, he's happy. It's like, "Oh man, this is awesome." He comes down, and people started criticizing, like, oh, "Well, he's going to be a guest. He's going to be a guest with the man. He's a sinner," you know. And uh, Zacchaeus stood, in verse number 8, here's what I want to read to you, Luke 19, 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Okay. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And here's what Jesus' response was. This day is salvation come to this house, for as much also as he is son of Abraham. So, one could only, I guess we we just have to believe that at that moment Zacchaeus believed. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like, okay, let's step back for a second to the first of the story. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a wealthy man, probably a very prominent, dignified person. Can you imagine watching a prominent, dignified person climb a tree? Hmm, no. Like, I feel like that was probably a little bit humiliating for him. <laughs> like, he had to kind of put his pride well, and his that he dignity was the chief to the side. among publicans, so he was like the top dog. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking. Like, this, this guy is a very important, powerful person. And yet, he sort of sets his dignity to the side to climb up this tree in order to see Jesus. And... A lot of times, like I've heard, I've heard this portion of scripture taught in the context of like, you know, well, basically God decides predestination who's going to be saved because, you know, he picked Zacchaeus and not all these other people. But I feel like Zacchaeus humbled, humiliated himself. like you were talking about in the, in the previous episode here, you know, Zacchaeus stepped forward with the humility and with surrendering his pride and saying, Hey, I want to see Jesus. And I feel like when Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, all he is doing is reciprocating. Like he he acknowledges the humility in Zacchaeus and he extends some grace. He extends some Mm. love. And I think that is why Zacchaeus responds the way he does is because he has taken a big risk. And so when Jesus responds in grace and he responds in love, Zacchaeus just latches onto it. I mean, I think about the people in my life that I know that we would classify as big time sinners, (laughs) you know, people that maybe lived a life of drunkenness or drug addiction. 
And when those people come to Christ, a lot of times you see a huge transformation in them because they know Hmm. what Jesus did for them. They know, like, I was worthless and he took me. Hmm. And yet somebody like me, it took me a long time to be Hmm. able to admit that I was worthless. Hmm. Like, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was wrong. And so I could accept salvation. you never felt like you were one of them. I could accept salvation because I knew I was a sinner. But I feel like there is a different level of grace almost. I don't know that I, I don't know that that's scriptural. But I feel like in my life, I felt like I was extended a different level of mercy when I was able to say my pride makes me worthless. Mm-hmm. My idea that I am somebody that I'm a good person, me I know who I am, and I am Mm. not a good person. Mm. And when I was able to come to that point, I could receive more of God's mercy and more of his love because I was willing to acknowledge who and what I was. Mm. And I feel like that is a big key in the story of Zacchaeus that we kind of skim over or maybe don't even realize. I don't know. I think it took me a while to realize it. Mm. You know, but Zacchaeus... He readily admitted, I am worthless. You know, I don't have friends. Nobody likes me because I'm a thief. Mm. And so when Jesus extended that mercy and that love to him, he just latched on. And I mean, full force, he was like, okay, if you can show me this kind of grace and mercy, you can show me this kind of love, then I can do the right thing. I can give back to these people that I've stolen from. And he, he, at the end of all this, he would have been... I mean, I don't, there's no way to know how rich he actually was. But if he said, I'm going to give half my goods, so half his bank account. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't even necessarily people he stole from. I no, mean, he, he might said, have taken from them. But he just said half of it, whatever it is. I'm going to give it to the poor. I mean, y'all, can, can we imagine that? Say, I'm, I'm going to cut everything I have in half. Mm-hmm. You know, I said on my little live video last night, um, I doubt Mrs. Zacchaeus was very happy about this. <laughs> yeah. You know. But at the same time, integrity right had come into the home. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I feel like the integrity is him saying, you know, if if I've stolen from anyone, then I'm going to restore to them fourfold. But that first part is just general goodwill. Just goodness. You know, okay, these generosity. I am acknowledging that there are poor in my community that there there are those who are not doing as well as me. And I'm just going to give to them. And then he says, oh, and about that other thing that I've done, you know, and about that stealing. Now I need to make that right. But, I mean, depending upon how many people and to what degree he cheated people, I mean, if he... He very well could have ended up with nothing. Broke. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like he he wouldn't have cared Mm -hmm. because he had been, he'd received grace. Mm -hmm. Something he probably thought he would never receive. Can you imagine when you're so far down... You're so far down the corruption yep. scandal yep. that you think, I mean, you've sold your soul. Mm-hmm. Like, you're gone. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like you're, I don't know, I don't know if you could say you're, there's, it's never too late. But, mm. I mean, at the same time, you know. At least not for the Lord. At least not for the <laughs> Lord. Mm-hmm. Maybe for other people. I mean, there's no, I mean, people didn't even like the fact that Jesus extended grace to him. It's like, what are you doing? His, you know, Right. You know, that's so good, though. So, but back in Isaiah, you know, where he says, learn to do well and seek judgment. 
you know, then relieve the oppressed, judge or justice to the fatherless and plead for the widow. I just, I am looking at it like they all tie in together, like, you know, justice for those who can't get it for themselves. The uh, relieve the oppressed part, um, one of the ways that you relieve the oppressed, you know, I've, it's easy for me to just look at like, well, money, throw some money at somebody, and it may, it may be, but um, I was looking in some other versions and it was saying we're, um, something like fight, not fight, but basically stand up to the oppressor is what it was saying. It reversed it. It didn't say relieve the oppressed, but stand up against the profess- professor. <laughs> professor. Like in my mind, the analogy that I instant, like that instantly hits me is like the school bully, you know, because the school bully almost always picks on the littlest person. Mm. You know, so be the person that's going to stand with the little guy. You might get punched in the nose. You might have a black eye tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But you stood with the person. And that's not the popular position. Mm -hmm. The popular position is to serve the big guy and to just let them do whatever they want to do. Or just to ignore that it's happening all together and like you don't see it. That's probably the most popular, yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretend it doesn't exist. (laughs) But like I shared with you, Ecclesiastes 8, you know, that scripture that I studied for like a month or two. Mm -hmm. You know, stand not in an evil thing. Or don't take your stand in an evil cause. Right. In other words, you you know, even if you might have a privileged position or a good job, or whatever the case may be, you have to stand for right. Mm-hmm. You have to stand for right. And you can't stand by while there's somebody being abused. Right. Or there's somebody being talked about or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. you can't be stand idly by while somebody's thrown under the bus and you know it's not right. Right. And that's I- not easy. It's not popular for sure. Not popular. <laughs> you don't want to be the guy around the water cooler that takes up for the boss when everybody's talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about getting awkward yeah, real fast. real quick, drop an awkward grenade. <laughs> Messy. Relieve the oppressed. Judge or get get justice for the fatherless. That's for the person that... Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch. And this is a little political, but... It's it's really not too much of a stretch to talk about um, those babies that are aborted right there. Mm. Um, I know this is that's not in context. Prob- probably it's talking about judge or get justice for the fatherless. You know, for those those children of widows. I think is what it's talking about. Mm. But man, in this day and time, with you know abortion in this country as prevalent as it is, um, you know, especially for the sake of convenience, many times. Many times it seems like it's because there's no father in the picture. I'm not saying every time, and I don't know the stats, but I would say so. I don't know. You haven't. But. Don't get me talking about abortion. I'll be no. here a long time. I okay. just I feel like that. I will just say this. You know, to to know that we are all made in the image of God, and to put a stop to a life. That is a little spark, a little part of God himself. That is not something to be taken lightly. Hmm. I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that because that is... I know I mean, you want to go further. I do. And it's as someone that we, we were married for eight years before our first child was born. And for five years, 
I just could not get pregnant. The doctor had no answers. He's, you know, there is no physical reason that you are not. It's just not happening. And so, like, honestly, that was hard for me because, like, I think I would have jumped through hoops if he had said, take this medication, have this surgery, do this procedure. Like, I would have done those things to try to make it happen. But for him to just say, there's nothing you can do but just wait. Like, that was, that was difficult to hear. And then, five years into our marriage, you know, I've finally conceived a child we went, we saw the heartbeat, the whole nine yards, and then I lost that baby towards the end of my first trimester. And then during a period of two years, I actually had three miscarriages. You know, so as somebody who wanted desperately to have a family for all of those years, it is hard for me to hear those stories. But at the same time, you don't ever know what another person is going through. And it doesn't make it right. But it's hard It's hard for me to judge that if I'm honest. Like I almost feel like I should take a stronger stand against it. But I just have a hard time doing it. But as just from my own perspective, my own paradigm, that is, that is not something to be taken lightly. A little, a little being made in the image of God himself. I feel like there's going to be there's going to be some judgment required for that decision. And we we talked about um with a friend a few days ago about how you know every every person has that little bit of God in their being. You know, even when you're a sinner even when you are not Even regenerated, you God, you're or... not regenerated, you're not saved, you are made in his image. That is a soul. You know, even a person that says, I don't believe in God, or they ridicule your stance in what you believe, that is a soul. And when we see them in that light, it totally changes. Transforms it. It changes the way we treat them. Hmm the way we perceive them, they're not our enemy. Hmm. And I feel like that, that us being made in God's image and that little spark of him in us is what allows us to be regenerated even. You know, it gives us the hope of being like Christ. Hmm. You know, because when Christ died, he died for mankind across the board. Even though I think he already knew, you know, who would accept and who would not. Oh, that's a whole philosophical discussion yeah. I'm not going to jump into. But, you know, that that being in the image of God is a whole nother topic. But as at least along the lines of this, as far as the fatherless, that is a, that is a very it's weighty a, matter. Well, It's something to really consider. And we have um, some family members that foster and I really love that idea because I mean those are they are little people they mm-hmm. are little souls mm-hmm. and they may not be biologically related but but according like, to this way, scripture connected and according to this scripture we have a responsibility to yeah. them to those people yeah. to all people yeah. <laughs> sorry I got I mean, way off track there <laughs> well I opened the door
All right, so our app cut us off at an hour. Didn't know that we'd gone that long, but anyway, um, we had a clock right in front of us the whole time. <laughs> so. told you once <laughs> go ahead and tell me again see what happens <laughs> see if i listen any better the second time <laughs> hey i'll tell you what you what you need to do you will now <laughs> it's just all getting deleted all right <laughs> it is getting deleted yeah. all that is <laughs> <laughs> Not necessary information. I'm glad I can cut and trim stuff. You're just talking and talking and it don't even matter. <laughs> don't even care. <laughs> Verse number 18. Come now, let us reason together like we shared earlier. Saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So, the in-between, in-between, verse number um, 16 and now, I mean, you've got the wash you and make you clean. So that's the first part. I would say that is stepping away, being obviously sorrow, sorrowful for what you've done, um, then stopping, ceasing. The Bible says cease to do evil. So you, you have to stop. Like you just say, well, sorry, and keep going. That's, that's not sorrow. That's not repentance. But then you, you know, and I, I think that's... This is where it's easy to get kind of muddled up and just say, well, that's where you stop. If you're sorry and you're repentant, there you go. But he doesn't stop there. He says, learn to do well. So it's not just don't do the bad things. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and that's where a lot of times Christianity is. Right. I mean, would you agree? I would. So, I mean, as long as we don't do this, as long as we don't dip, as long as we don't smoke, as long as we don't drink, as long as we don't cuss, as long as we don't do all these things, then that means I'm righteous. As long as I tithe to my church and go to church, that means I'm righteous. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Right. Because... Where have we been this whole time? Because that's what we've been talking about. Right. You know, you can do all the things. You can do you can do all the things and still have a sorry, rotten, cold, bitter, judgmental heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what God was speaking into. Right. He said, wash from that, put away the evil, learn to do well, or learn to do completely, seek justice, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, and that's when he comes back in. Come now, come now. Let's reason. If you do these things, your sins, they're scarlet, but they'll be white as snow. They're red. They're red with blood, but they shall be as wool. They'll, they'll be clean. And then God gives us a... Would you have a thought? I was just thinking that in... Kind of back to your title, you know, when doing right becomes wrong. You know, doing, just doing the right things does not mean that your heart is right with God because that is what that verse is talking about. Like now your heart is in mm. the right place. Your motives it's are in the right aligned. place. And now. Now we can do something. Now we can be white as snow. Now we can be as wool. Now the sins can be removed because our motives and our heart are lining up with our actions. Well, to line up with to line up with Christian thinking, 
whenever you, you know, you have a repentant heart, you say, okay, well, I'm sorry. And that takes a lot for people to get there. It takes Mm -hmm. a lot for somebody to be repentant. Mm -hmm. God, I'm sorry. Even just sorrowful. God, I'm sorry. I've really messed up my life. Sorrow and all that. But then when you turn the right way, and not in this context, but in the New Testament context, you turn the way of Christ. You, You go and follow after Christ. Goodness follows. Right. Like if you were in the way of Christ, goodness that follows. Whole fruit of the Spirit thing. Yeah. Should <laughs> we go over there and discuss all those? No. <laughs> I mean, that's another day. But I mean, when you when you begin lining your life up with Him, with His Spirit, what He is leading you to do, that is when those fruit of the Spirit come into play. You don't just get them instantly because you're saved. And you it's not something you start you are... down and say, "Well, I'm going to do this today, and I'm going to do this today, and I'm going to add all these things today." You no, get them because you are walking with him and he is manifesting those things him. in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something you just turn over a new leaf and you say, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a trickle down, you know, coming to me, oh, you are weary and heavy laden, you know, put take my yoke upon you. You know, you, you're going with him. You right. Know? And you ain't got to worry about it. You mm-hmm. know, I remember I've told you the story that, you know, whenever I graduated a Bible college the first time around, um, I asked one of my professors, it was at a little uh, after-party whatever thing, after the graduation like night. The graduation yeah, party. Yeah, well, was when we both, when we both graduated. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we were about to head off to ministry. I told you this before. You know, I'm sitting there with one of, one of my prof- professors who came by for the little thing. And I said, you know, how, how do I you know, lead people to Christ and bring people into the church and you know, have the fruit of the Spirit and all this kind of stuff? And he just kind of said, well, just keep on keeping on. And that's not exactly the words, but it was like, you know, you just, oh, you'll be fine. No, he said, he said, oh, man, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Oh, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And I can't blame him for what he said. And it didn't really have that much of an effect on my life. But I do remember being dumbfounded, like, that ain't helping me. <laughs> and what I wish he would have told me is, you need to stay close to Christ. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you will be fine. Abide in Christ. Mm-hmm. Make that your top tier priority. Right. And then you will be fine. You will exude the fruits of the, the fruit of the Spirit. You will lead people to Christ. The people will follow that. Or maybe they won't. But at least you will be you will be okay at that point. But, but you're not in, just okay by yourself. But in fairness to that professor, he very well may have made the assumption that you were doing those things. Maybe. So that's what I'm you saying. Know? I'm not blaming him. And right. I'm, you know, I'm just actually, trying to be fair. I actually Play really devil, like the guy. Devil's advocate here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, where were we? All right. So, um, there's a choice. And this is where we end at. Verse number 19 and 20. Do you want to read these? Okay. If ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Man, I feel like right then verse 18 where he says, okay, let's reason together. And he's basically recaps. All right, here's all the things you've done. Now let's be reasonable. Because if you'll listen, if you'll heed, then I can wash all this away. You can be obedient and you can have a good life. Mm -hmm. But if you don't listen, and like he just lays out for them the consequences. Like, I've already told you everything I have you charged with. Everything I'm finding you guilty of. And now I'm fixing to tell you what the consequences are. Mm -hmm. But you still have to choose. Hmm. The choice is still yours. Yeah, you can go one way or the other. And 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 I feel like the 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 difference in just well, I'm sorry, we'll try to do better, 
and okay, we're committing and we're doing this, is found in verse number 19, the first part of it. If you be willing and, and obedient. Mm-hmm. Being willing is one thing. Well, yeah, you know, that'd be that's a good idea. That's a good idea. But you have to be obedient. Right. You know, what's that that Samuel told Saul to obey? To obey is better than sacrifice. I'm not gonna get into that story, but you know, he it's like you you need to obey. It's not about, mm-hmm. you know, what you think, what you feel, all those things. It's about you obeying. Right. And that's where your choice lies. You can think it's a good idea. You can think Jesus is a good idea. You can think it all this is a great idea. But you have to submit to it. Right. You have to submit. I mean, you know, and and honestly, I think today we have it easier than they had it back then in the Old Testament. We because, don't have nearly as many be, rules to no, keep up with. No, <laughs> well, I'm saying all we have to do is, okay, well... I repent. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I don't really know what to do about it, except I'm going to turn to Christ. And He can clean me up. And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Yeah. To lead us and guide us. And you know what some people would call a conscience. You know, kind of pricking your heart when you're doing something you know you should not. Or kind of nudging you in the direction of what you ought to do. Yeah. And they didn't have that. No. Like, I can't imagine living without that. And to being dependent of pressure. Of being dependent upon, you know, my list of laws of, you know, whether I'm right with God or not. Because a lot of times for me, that that spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of me, it lets me know when I'm not where I'm yeah. supposed to be. Yeah. Like I feel it in my yeah. spirit when I'm not right with God. Yeah. When there's something grieving him. I can't even imagine like what you're talking about. I can't imagine how difficult that how do you really feel truly when would you're have not been. Right with God? What does it feel like in your spirit? Because I know the word in my spirit is the best way to put it. It's just dead. Hmm. Dead inside. For me, it feels... I think guilt may be the right word. It's it's that like sort of... It's that sort of nagging... Like, you Low know level. this is not really where you're supposed to be. What you're supposed to be doing. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word exactly. I don't know. I hadn't talked. I hadn't thought about it enough to be able to articulate it. I don't think. I'll just bring that one on you. Yeah. To me, I I I can feel it because it's just like I know I'm. Well, it's a Psalm sixty six eighteen thing. It's just like I've got iniquity in there, and mm-hmm. I haven't relinquished it yet. I'm still holding mm-hmm. on to it. It's just because well, I really you know whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and it's just like okay, well I I mean I I go to God and pray regularly, but whenever I I've got that in my heart. Like, I can go, and it ain't the same. Mm-hmm. Like, normally, when I go to God and pray, like, it's easy for me to get emotional and just enter into God's presence and be overwhelmed with it. But when I've got something that I ain't got right, it's just like, it's monotonous. It's the same cotton-picking thing this chapter's talking about. It's just dead. It's like I'm praying, but it's, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. So. So, anyway, we have a choice. And that's where we end. We can be willing and obedient, or we can refuse and and rebel. Mm. It's our choice. There's a lot more in this chapter. There's a lot. There's a lot in the book of Isaiah. And I would just like to point out that continuing on, doing those right things, in the wrong manner, is what he's talking it's about exactly when he says refuse about. and rebel. You know, he's I, not talking about. I don't think he's talking about wickedness and. Right, As we he, would think he's not talking about you know 
going completely buck wild and doing doing whatever you want to do. The wickedness he's referring to is, is the right things in the wrong way. In the wrong way. The wrong and spirit. That is when doing right becomes wrong. So, what do you think? Did we nail it? Or is it garbage? It's up for you. It's up to you to decide. But we do thank you for listening. And we are both out of brain. So, we will check back. And we will come back. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Daylight, Daylight and Dark. Dark. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. You have been listening to the Daylight and Dark podcast, and we are so grateful that you have paid attention for this long, if you've made it this long. Uh, if you would, go ahead and check out uh, the website, joshwestmoreland.com, or the YouTube channel, Recovering Hypocrite. You can look up some videos there, or give this little podcast here, this little podcast here, a like, a follow, a share, or a subscription, however your platform words that. And we would be eternally grateful uh, when I am able to. I will pay you back in gum if you'll do that. So, anyway, thanks again. And uh, until next time, grace and peace. <laughs>